Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. this time, I'd love to just encourage you in your relationship with Jesus. I'd love to encourage you in your walk with God and the reality of what we're a part of. We're launching a brand new series today called Follow Me. And uh, and this is a cry. This is a call. This is a word. This is something that resonates within us when we encounter Jesus in our lives. Here at Anchor Church, for those of you that are visiting, uh, we're not very religious. We don't believe in just following rules and going through the motions and, and, and doing a few things to perhaps appease our conscience or, or, or feel like we're contributing in some way. No, we have been shaken. We have been, we've been uh, arrested and gr- laid a hold of by the goodness of a person called Jesus. Here at Anchor Church, our number one value is that it is all about Jesus. And in this series, we want to talk about what it means to follow him what it means to know Him, what it means to walk with Him, what it means to encounter Him, and what it means to disciple others, to be a disciple and to be a discipler, to be a disciple that makes disciples. These are are the two follow me's that we find in Scripture where Jesus walks up to His disciples and He says to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And then at the same time, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And these two things are inextricably interlinked. You cannot separate them from one another. As we are following, we are also fishers. And as we follow Jesus, we're also calling others to follow us. And so I recently asked my leaders um, in a call that we did uh, as part of our leaderscape and leadership collective, we, 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 I asked my leaders, if everybody in the church worshiped the way you did, prayed the way you did, uh, trusted God the way you did, gave the way you did, the way you do, uh, or, or served the way that you do, what would the church look like? If we were, were replicating, it's in the heart of God to replicate and reproduce. The first commandment given to mankind is to be fruitful and to multiply. And so as believers, we are called not just to get for ourselves, not just to receive whatever we feel can make us uh, you know, better or that we can get out of it, uh, make us feel good or more comfortable or more blessed or whatever, but actually to live for others, to disciple others, to encourage others, to strengthen others, to, 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 to spend ourselves like Jesus spent himself for the sake of the gospel. That's what we're called to. It's an incredible call that we get to be disciples of Jesus. So we're going to unpack that a little bit today in this series called Follow Me, the invitation of Jesus. I want to let you know this morning that the invitation of Jesus is not for you to go and take a good hard look in the mirror. Because that's what we sometimes think it is when we come to church. That's why a lot of people don't come to church because they feel like that means that I have to go and look at myself and try and fix all the things that are wrong. You know, we do that when we look in the physical mirror. We, we notice things. You know, you look long enough, it's like saying a word in English over and over and over again, you know, until it starts sounding foreign. It's like, how do we use that word in everyday life? And if you look at yourself long enough in the mirror, you will begin to see imperfections that you didn't notice before, or perhaps that nobody else sees. And many of us think that when the Scripture says that the, the Word of God is a mirror, that what we're supposed to find in this mirror is everything that we're doing wrong and then do everything we can to try and fix it. 
But here at Anchor Church, we encourage people not to try and fix themselves, but instead that you would fix your eyes on Jesus because he is the author and the finisher of our faith, amen? He is the one who does what we could not do. So it's to fix your eyes on Jesus. And the Bible says that the good work that God began in you, he will be faithful to complete. How many of you are trusting God for your journey? And we get to partner with God in that journey. We get to trust Jesus in that journey. But the only way that we could lead others and disciple others is if we ourselves are disciples. If we ourselves are followers of Jesus. This is not an invitation to try and be better. This is not an invitation to try and improve your ways or to fix yourself. In Matthew 4, verse 19 to 20, here is the invitation. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you. I love that. I will make you. It reminds me of when we did our series in Jeremiah, when God says to Jeremiah, stand your ground. Stand in that position and watch as I make you as solid as a concrete block wall, as, as steadfast as a steel post, you will not be moved. And as impregnable as a castle. You see, what we do here on a Sunday morning when we come is that we come to Jesus knowing that there's things we cannot do for ourselves. But as we stand before Jesus, we trust Him by His Spirit to do in us what we cannot do for ourselves to shape us, to mold us, to cause us to become everything that we dream to become. I once heard somebody say that hope is not all the things that we are trusting for. Hope is everything God is causing us to become. Who are you becoming? Who are you looking to in order to become? How are you changing? How are you different now from, from the way you were last Sunday or the Sunday before that? Are we trusting Jesus to shape us in this way? Are we looking to him? This moment where Jesus calls these disciples is a moment of historical fulfillment and significance. And I, don't, I think we sometimes, we overlook it in the, the cliche kind of things that we've heard around these scriptures. Just follow me. I know probably a million pastors have done a series called Follow Me. And generally, we try and do things differently. And, and, and so I, I thought, what else could I call it? And I thought, but this is, we've got to recover and regather the, the, the significance of this moment with these two simple words of Jesus. When he came and he said, now follow me. That signified a shift in human history. After those words, nothing would ever be the same again. It's the end of an era that began with Moses and endured for centuries. And I can ima imagine the angels in heaven crowded around the throne watching this moment unfold, going, here it's coming. It's happening now. All the prophecies of the Old Testament, every story that was told in the book of Genesis, all the, the chapters and verses and pages that spoke about a future when God would be amongst men, when God would be incarnate, and when He would lead His people, and we will be His people, and He will be our God, and there will be this connection, this reconciliation, this unity with God, where we no longer follow rules, where we no longer are just trying to be religious, where we're not trying to fix ourselves, but God himself has become man, our high priest walking amongst us, and he would walk up to every one of us, look you in the eye and say, follow me. 
this is so far from being religious. This is so far from just trying to improve ourselves slightly from self-help or motivational speaking. This is the fulfillment of every promise that God has made. Every page, chapter, and verse testified of this moment until they had no more breath to give, until the volume of what they had to declare couldn't be raised any higher. Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and every other Old Testament believer would give anything to trade places with you today. To trade places with you. To be able to have the grace of God through Jesus available to us, the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit where every believer, man, woman, and child can experience the Spirit, hear His voice, and respond by the grace of God saying, yes, Lord, I will follow you. And we're passionate about this because we're not just trying to shape people into some Christian mold. We want you to know Jesus. We want you to know him with all of your heart, with everything that you are, to trust in him and to follow him and to walk with him. As Jesus did with those fishermen and the tax collectors sitting in a booth and general tradesmen going about their day. Here it is now, the time has come. This is it, Jesus, God incarnate, the sovereign God, creator and savior, the son of God himself, walks up to, to, to some fishermen, walks up to some tradesmen, walks up to a tax collector and says the sweetest, most compelling words they had ever heard. Words that literally grabbed them by the spine and put iron in their blood. They noticed, they recognized, their souls came alive in that moment as Jesus said, follow me. The Bible tells us that immediately they left their nets and they followed. They left their nets and they followed. They recognized that what they used to do, what they used to look to for, for sustenance in life, to make a living, in that moment they could leave it all behind because they had been called by the Son of God. Jesus had done everything for them. Every cell in their tired bodies fired at once in that moment at the words, follow me. You see, they, they knew religion. They were raised in religion. They were raised learning about the Torah and being taught by, by rabbis in the rabbinical schools. And the very fact that they were all tradesmen means that they had already dropped out at this point. None of them had qualified. None of them were good enough. None of them had the brains or, the, or the, the desire or the persistence or whatever it is that you would have needed to have progressed beyond the learning school of, of the, uh, you know, to, to the point where you would be able to follow a rabbi. If you got to a certain age and you had progressed to a certain extent, you could then go to a rabbi and personally ask him if you could follow him. And so the Jews in the, in the early days would have understood the context of what Jesus was saying. They didn't have a rabbi because they were dropouts. They didn't make the grade. They knew religion. They knew that they had already fallen short. They were being discipled at that moment as tradesmen. They tried to be good enough and fell short. There's only two kinds of people in this world. Those that have fallen short and those that do not yet know how short they have fallen. <laughs> All of us have fallen short. And to us, shortfallers, 
to us weary, burnt out on religion, cynical, jaded, distracted, sinful, irreverent people, Jesus comes and he says, you, follow me. It's grace. It's grace. None of us could deserve that call, but all of us have received it in Jesus. And if there's one thing in everything that you've ever heard me say, ever heard me teach, that I implore you to remember and to believe, it's that you have been called to come to Jesus. That's the calling. Come to Jesus. That's what the Spirit and the bride say. They say, come, drink freely of the water, the, the eternal wellspring of life that is Jesus himself. It's all about Jesus. In Matthew eleven twenty eight verse uh, 28 to 30, we see this invitation made by Jesus. And I, I want to read it to you in the Amplified Version as well as in the Message Bible because I love how it brings up the color from that original, uh, the original Greek. Um, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, it says, come to me, Jesus' invitation, come to me. Come to me, Anchor Church. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavily burdened by religious rituals that provide no peace. It's empty. And I will give you rest, refreshing for your souls with salvation, refreshing your souls with salvation. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, following me as a disciple. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest, renewal, blessed quiet for your souls. For my yoke, Jesus says, is easy to bear, and my burden is light. There's a grace there. There's a grace for the following. In the Message Bible, it puts it this way. It says, are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace, how God's grace will move us. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Does that sound like the life that you're living right now? Freely, lightly, nothing ill-fitting. It doesn't mean we don't shoulder burden. It doesn't mean we don't work hard. It doesn't mean we don't do what God's called us to do. It doesn't mean that it's always easy, but there is a grace, there is a peace, and there is a rest in the midst of whatever we may be experiencing because we're not putting our hope on certain steps that we're called to take. We're putting our hope in a person, the person of Jesus. He is the grace of God to us. Grace upon grace is what he has brought for us. The invitation of Jesus has always been an invitation into a relationship with him. And so it's not about just applying principles. There's some great principles in life and it's good to apply them. But the heart of this entire message and this entire gospel and the scriptures is not about applying principles or following rules or becoming religious. It's about standing face to face with Jesus like Moses did. The Bible says Moses stood face to face with God, that he was a friend with God. That signifies something deep in the reality of that relationship. And that's the call, that we would come to that place where we're standing face to face with Jesus and that we actually surrender our hearts. Some of us are okay with surrendering a Sunday once a month, surrendering a little bit of money every now and again, 
surrendering some good deeds and some time when we feel like it's appropriate. But have we really come to Jesus and just laid it all out there and said, Lord, I belong to you. I am yours. I surrender my heart to you. I give you everything that I am. Surrendering our hearts to him because he surrendered his hearts for us to be stopped on the cross. That's the nature of relationships. And I'm a little bit weird this way. You can ask my wife, some may describe me as sensitive or complicated. <laughs> but you know what? I just won't settle for anything other than an authentic relationship. And that doesn't mean that relationships have to kind of be in the deep end right from the get-go. That's weird. Right, doesn't mean that like we have to just love each other like we've you know known each other all of our lives from the get-go. No, there's time for relationships to progress. But as it progresses, phase by phase by phase by phase, I want it to be authentic. And so the moment I feel like I have to pretend, or the moment I feel like you feel like you have to pretend, I'm like, we're good. Maybe God can reconnect us later on again. I won't settle for anything less than a genuine heartfelt relationship. And I don't know why we think God would settle for anything less than that. Jesus literally, you can hear the aching of his heart when he says of his own people, these people, they, they worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That's not what God has for you, that you're standing here and you might be singing the songs and raising the, your hands and, and going through the motions, but your heart is distant. It's far away. Have you ever been in a relationship with somebody that has grown distant to you? And you're trying to recover that sense of connectedness and it just seems like they're not interested. You know, I think God, he loves each of us so much. I think it must pain him in, if, when we struggle to feel like we're, we're even connected to him. And his grace means that he'll never stop pursuing you, even if that's the case. But God wants you to genuinely give your life to him genuinely follow him, genuinely know him. Can a relationship, if our relationship with Jesus isn't authentic, then what is it at the end of the day? What are we doing at the end of the day? What is Christianity if not a relationship with Christ? And a genuine relationship requires an open heart, vulnerability, and love. Here I am, God. And that's why many people including the Pharisees that Jesus spoke to in the scriptures, would rather follow rules than follow Jesus. They would rather be religious than be surrendered because we don't ultimately want to give ourselves away. Ultimately, we want to save ourselves and do our own thing and kind of just have Jesus there as a backup. But this call of follow me is an all or nothing call. They had to leave their nets behind in order to follow. Like many other relationships in our world today, people want the benefits without the commitment. But it doesn't work that way. It can't work that way with Jesus. He spoke to the Pharisees, Jesus, at one point about all of their Bible reading and all of their, 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 their you know, activity around the Scriptures. And, and he comes to them in John 5, verse 39. And he says to them, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them, you have eternal life. So people go, well, it's the scriptures that give us eternal life. And Jesus says, you know, it's not the scriptures that give us eternal life, but who you meet in the scriptures that gives you eternal life. He says, and yet it is those very scriptures that testify about me. It's about me, Jesus says. 
It's all about when he met the guys on the, on the road to Emmaus and he walked and he showed how from Moses and all of the prophets, how all of them testified about him. He says, they testify about me and still you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. What parts of us are still unwilling this morning? You know, that it's the goodness of God. It's his grace, it's his love, it's his kindness, it's his faithfulness that sounds the invitation for us to say, yes, Lord. We love God because he loved us first. Why does Jesus call you? Why does he ask you to follow him? Why does he invite you to come to him? Can I tell you? It's because he loves you, because he created you, because he has more for you in this life than going through the motions jaded, and cynical. How many of you want to recover some freshness, some refreshing in life? Where you're living life like like the kids that we had on stage this morning. I'm there. I'm available. I'm open. I'm excited. Tyler wasn't that excited, but (laughs) how many of you just want to recover some freshness that you wake up in the morning and you're, you're, you're not overthinking everything. You're not constantly anxious, not constantly worried, not constantly concerned, but you're just like a child who trusts their kids. My, my kids, I know they're excited because they make a noise from about 10 past five every morning. Dad's there. Mom's there. We've got everything that we need. We're just excited about the day. Top of their voices. <laughs> 10 past five. They, they don't expect anything less than a great day. That's what God, how God designed us to live, to walk freely and lightly, moved by the unforced rhythms of his grace. So Jesus came to save you. And in order for him to do that, we've got to stop trying to save ourselves. If you're saving yourself, you're not trusting Jesus to save you. And that's why, where that scripture in Matthew eleven twenty eight tells us that, that Jesus is saying, be yoked together with me. Tie yourself to me. Follow after me. Walk with me. You see, this is, this is not just a Sunday thing. This is an everyday, every moment kind of thing. That, that picture there was in, in the agrarian society would have been understood so well where two oxen, an older ox and a younger ox would be yoked together. And how the, whenever the younger ox wanted to veer off course, the older ox who, who has, who has uh, you know, done this for years, who has the experience, who knows the ways, is literally bound to the younger one, leading the younger one in the way of righteousness, in the path. And so Jesus says, when you're bound together with me, you'll realize that I'm the one who takes the burden, the yoke. Your yoke is going to be easy and light because I am the one. And I'm going to teach you to live according to my grace, unforced rhythm, just, a, just an ease that comes with life, a peace and a rest that comes from, from knowing who this Jesus is. We're bound together with him. But what a lot of people do is they come to church and they might say, okay, I believe in Jesus, I give my life to Jesus, but then they're, they're off living their lives out here in their own strength every week. And God is not gonna grace you to do the things that he hasn't called you to do. We walk by his grace in his grace, we learn from him. And that is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. To be a follower of Jesus means to be a disciple, a lifelong follower. 
and learner, abiding in him and being led by him, a daily relationship where you're, you know, and, and I think that that's where it helps us to, to, to uh, step back from our protocols around prayer and around Bible reading. I don't know why we sometimes feel like we have to build a shrine and get every kind of highlighter on planet earth and make sure you quickly Instagram, devo hashtag devotions, you know, whatever. Why we have to set up all these rituals and all these things and then, and then we, we kind of block out maybe, if you know, and a lot of people don't even do this, but like five minutes in, in, in a morning or in the day or when you're driving in the car, now I'm quickly talking to Jesus. Do you know that Jesus doesn't leave you? It's a conversation we can keep having. The conversation continues day in and day out, every moment of every day. Jesus is present. Just talk to him. Talk to him like you would with any friend about what you're feeling, about what you're going through, about what you're experiencing, about what you're hoping for, and trust him. There's a beauty that comes out of all of that. This is the biblical pattern of discipleship. This is what it looks like, right? Here's the biblical pattern of discipleship. In 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18, it tells us how we get to encounter Jesus and how we get to become like him. It says, and we all with unveiled face, with unveiled face. Previously, the law was that veil, was that, was that shroud. And we were unable because of that to see the gospel. But now in Christ, that veil has been removed. And so now with unveiled face, we are continually seeing as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Isn't that significant? That you see God's glory as you look in the mirror. Because what you recognize now in your identity in Jesus, that when you look in the mirror, you're not just seeing your own flaws, you're seeing who you are in Christ. The Bible says in the book of James that any man who sins is like a man who has looked at himself steadfastly in the mirror and has walked away and who has instantly forgotten who he is. So the mirror is not there to show you what's wrong with you. It's to show you who you are in Christ. And as we look in the mirror, we can see Christ in us. As we see that glory, as we behold him, we are progressively being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to another, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. In other words, as we behold Jesus, the Holy Spirit transforms us so that we actually become what we behold. Isn't that beautiful? How are you beholding Jesus? How are you looking to Jesus? How are you fixing your eyes on Jesus? How are you being a disciple of Jesus? As we behold him, follow me and I will make you. Beautiful. Do you know why we often struggle to be disciples of Jesus? It's because we're so often being discipled by the world. The world is discipling us. If you're not a disciple of Jesus, you will be a disciple of the world and the world's culture. What we behold is what we become. And the world is teaching us daily through social media, through uh, the, the TV that we watch, through uh, the internet and through conversations and through culture and through every other kind of antichrist agenda. We're being groomed, trained, conditioned and discipled to think in a way that no longer connects to the heart of God for us. This is how the world disciples us. And I've got a few statements on screen. From faith to doubt. 
If, the, if you allow the world to disciple you, you will go from faith to doubt. A culture where cynicism and doubt have become almost a value amongst our world. In our critical theory, post-Christian world where, where everything is a power structure that is to be subverted and to be broken down, we begin to think negatively. Critical theory has been described as negative activism. It has no hope in it, no life in it. It's just about breaking down. And this is what the world is, is trying to disciple us towards. From love, where we can forgive and, 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 and make room for one another and, and, and operate by love, to insecurity. Where we're canceling one another and, and, and where we're always trying to keep up. We live in a society where you are graded according to your performance. Every word that you say can and will be used against you. And so we're always trying to keep up the pretense being something that we are not yet. And so we become highly insecure. From community, the beauty of community to individualism. We see everything in, in life as about this path that we've got to try and take in order to, to, to reach the fullest stature of our own selves. And so we go and we study and then we move every three years from job to job to job, just trying to get ahead and we become highly individualized. We've forgotten the values of family, the value of community, the value of coming together in a, in a room like this one today. We view our primary lens for viewing our lives is from the individual basis, from contributing to consuming. When all of life is about personal expression, you go into every situation asking the question, what can I get out of it? So people come to church as consumers going, what am I going to get out of it? What is in it for me? And if they feel that there isn't enough in it for them to justify sitting in a room that doesn't have aircon because of load shedding, price is too high. I don't get enough out. I'm gone. I won't come back. It's consumeristic. Instead of being a contributor, what can I bring? What can I add? How can I give? How can I serve? How can I build together? From rest to exhaustion. Because we're evaluating our lives and everything that we do, we don't know who we are when we've stopped doing. Then we're nothing. Then we're empty. So because everything is just about doing, 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 we're exhausted. And when you come to church and I share vision about what God has called us to do as a church, it sounds to you like a beatdown because you're so tired. Even me just speaking about vision makes you feel like I'm adding pressure to your life. We're exhausted. It's because we've been, we've been religious instead of coming to Jesus. He says, in me, you'll find rest. All these things will be activated in my life. God has rest for us. It leaves us empty. Herman Bavink, a theologian from the end of the 1800s, early 1900s, once said this. He said, the more abundantly the benefits of civilization come streaming our way, the emptier our lives become. With all of its wealth and power, it only shows that the human heart in which God has put eternity is so huge that all the world is too small to satisfy it.
This world can't satisfy us. Do you believe this morning that if you died to yourself, to your own desires for self-fulfillment, to your efforts in self-help, do you believe this morning that if you died, that Christ can raise you from the dead, that he can give you a new life? Jesus says, come to me, follow me. That's the surrender. It's an expression of trust in Jesus. Isaac got onto the altar. He realized there's no sacrifice. He says, there's the fire, there's the, there's the wood, there's the altar. Where's the sacrifice? And as he climbed onto it, I'm pretty sure he had figured it out by then. Why did he get on? He trusted his father. Hebrews tells us that Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son because he believed in God so much that he knew God could raise the dead. I'm going to be obedient because I trust my father. And God did provide. God raises the dead. Do you believe God can raise you to a new life this morning? In John 12, 24, it says, Truly, truly, Jesus speaking, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. If we're not willing to, to answer Jesus' call, to surrender our lives, we're going to remain alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. In Matthew 16, 24, it says, Then Jesus told his disciples, his disciples, his followers, the ones that would go after him, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You see, there is a recognition here. I can't save myself, so God, I give myself so that you can save me. There's a laying down in order to pick up. And this is how real relationships work. You lay down your life so that you're no longer an individual living for yourself, but raised in a relationship living for another. That's the picture of marriage. That's the picture of friendship. It's the picture of genuine relationship. And people, so people tell me, you just, you just want to believe in grace so that you don't have to follow rules. And I tell them, you just want to follow rules because you don't want to follow Jesus. There's a call to more here this morning as true disciples of him. In the New Testament, I'm going to end on this. I want to show you this graphic that my wife found this week. In the New Testament, there are three occasions where the word Christianos, the Greek word, appears three times in the New Testament. Now, I also understand that it was a new word. It was only used for the first time in Antioch. It's the first place that Christ. So there is a bit of that to account for. But, and we understand what a Christian truly means. But I want to just show you the picture. The picture here is that you're not just a Christian. That you're not just a religious person. That you're not just attending a church. The Greek word metetes, where, which means disciple, is where we, we, we get the word math from. Mathematics comes from that same root word, and, and it means uh, thought accompanied by endeavor, a, dis, a discipleship, including the idea of intentionally learning by inquiring and observation, being a lifelong learner. This is found 261 times in the New Testament. In other words, before you're a Christian, or what it means to be a Christian, is to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And this word Matetes actually means more 
than just being a pupil. It's more than just listening to my sermons on a Sunday morning. It's more than just doing a course or, or, or going through some, some, some learning from a textbook. No, this is about attaching yourself to a teacher, the rabbi, following him, learning from him. And so Jesus is the one we follow. And as we follow him, we will have the confidence to say to others, follow me as I follow him. Let me help you. Let me lead you. It describes an adherent of a teacher. So this morning, as we kick off this series, follow me. My question to you is, to you is, is are you a follower of Jesus as a person? Do you hear his voice? And if you're not sure, do you want to be? Do you want to be this morning? I know that I'm always challenged to be more committed and, and to trust more in His grace as I follow Him. And we're going to believe for God, for that grace in your life, that this is going to be a disciple-making church. And we're not just going to go through the motions. We are going to make disciples. And those disciples will make more disciples and those disciples will make more disciples and we will begin to shake a city as a result of the work of God in people's lives in this place. Amen? Why don't you stand with me this morning? I'd love to pray for you.